Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hello, and welcome to the 108th edition of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. This is a conversation between woodworkers. I'm Sean Wisniewski of the Corner Workshop. With me is my co-host, Diami Plotke of the Penultimate Woodshop. And today's special guest is Brendan Gaffney of www.burn-heart.com. I know that sounds funny, but it really is. It's his website. It's a good website. <laughs> that's, that's certainly it. <laughs> Just go there. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, now you heard Brendan. How's everybody doing? Oh, I'm great. Just dandy. Yeah, good. How's the weather? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's starting to get cold up here in Portland, Maine, but uh, but we but we can't wait for it. Then then all the all the leafers go home, and we get to uh, enjoy this town to ourselves. <laughs> what do you call them? <laughs> leafers? Leafers? <laughs> okay, that's new to me. <laughs> you know, all those New Yorkers come up uh, come up to Maine, and they come stare at the leaves. Oh, okay. So I, I say this. I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I'm not actually a Mainer, so I I, uh, I have to quickly betray myself there. <laughs> well, I'm just gonna just gonna color me jealous because you've you've beat me there by about 20 years, but that's ultimately where I'm going. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful place to be. Yeah, that's um, I've been to Maine, but it was it was in the summer. I I didn't see the leaves changing. Yeah. At least I saw the leaves, plenty of them, but they weren't colorful. <laughs> Well, and it's a so, great, great, great place to be a craftsman too. There's a, uh, yeah, there's a pretty, I, pretty great, pretty great community of people up here making stuff. That's what I understand. All of New England, I think, is is a pretty special place to be. Yeah, yeah, and more so than of, the northwestern Ohio. Well, and there's lots of old. Uh, well, you've got the abandoned mills, and we've we've got them in spades. All these brick. So that's actually where where my shop is is in an old textile mill on an old river. You oh know, wow! So, so we've got we've got those in spades, which is uh, certainly part of sort of encouraging uh, craft up to the area. So we've got a lot of space like that. That's pretty cool. So, Diami, yeah, sure. What's in your shop? Um, or outside well, your shop? Well, longtime listeners may realize that I am still sitting on the four twelve foot long shelves I made a while ago. <laughs> because they remain stretched across the floor of my shop, and I've not touched them since I fabricated them, I don't know, three, four weeks ago at this point. And they're not dyed purple yet? No, I, no they're not. No, no, they're not. They will be, um, but we're not there yet. Where uh, I've been away the last two weekends, so of course Sunday I get home at around noon, and I decide to start a siding project. <laughs> um, so to get in here, I had to climb over my compressor and siding gun and all the various stuff I have dumped in the edge of the garage to do the siding. But I think I'm going to finish the siding project before I get on anything else. Cause when I sided the house about five years ago, I left this one little return undone. Okay. Cause it's at the end of my shop and the end of my shop is, is it in the roof? It's an Eve and I've got about a 14 inch soffit and I, I plan to bump it out and take over that section. So there is no soffit and add uh, the 14 inch depth yeah. to my shop. Okay. God knows when I'm going to get to do that. So you um, might as well cite it. Well, my wife's been after me to cite it since the day I stopped citing. Mm -hmm. um, and if I remember, remember or remind anybody who, again, was a listener from back when you were doing, well, I remember when you were doing that, the project around your bay window. When was that? A year ago or more? Like well, you, you did this because it's cedar shake citing. It's not like we're not, you're not slapping up vinyl. 
the when I say siding, yeah. it's cedar shake. If it's yeah. vinyl, I'll shoot myself. Right. Uh, so that's I guess that's an important <laughs> distinction because I could side your house in an afternoon if it was if it was vinyl siding. Please don't. No, I won't. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I did trim the bay window, but that's got to be every bit of four or five years ago. Yeah, that okay, was, okay. I the exterior trim of the bay window was part of the siding project. The interior trim of the bay window was about two years after that. Okay. Um, Long time listener, first time caller. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, but in any event, I, we're we're refinancing. I had to get the house appraised, so I thought this big section of peeling house wrap on the corner wouldn't look good so i decided to finish the siding yeah when i saw that you put that picture up i think on instagram or twitter one of the two uh but it was it was it saturday night sunday night and i, yeah, I went it was last night was boy that's night. awful late yeah you did like before i, I stopped at like 8 30 I, I didn't go terribly late you know what it was it's, afternoon it's, on a sunday i mean that's not a day to start up project that's going to last it's, more than a day you start it when you can i like. guess i suppose i i worked as high as i could but for reasons that are not important right now my ladder was in my office at work so i couldn't get to the very top so i'm like <laughs> i'm like three courses shy of the top ah even on your tippy toes yeah yeah but i, I took it as high as i could uh, pretty good yeah, and you'd, you'd, from the street, if you just drive past, you don't see the felt paper anymore, which was really the important thing. Oh, okay. Um, of course, the five-year-old cedar on the south face of the house versus the brand-new cedar. It's not like it blends well. <laughs> yeah, but it's two will. different tones. Is it like gray and nice soft brown at this point? Yeah. 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 But but it's it's white cedar. Um, oh, okay. I, I have almost as much disdain for red cedar siding as I do vinyl because uh, red cedar looks beautiful when you install it, but then it turns black. Yeah. Whereas, and I, I'm assuming you can back me up on this, Brendan. Being in New England, is that white cedar turns a beautiful shade of gray. Yeah, white cedar, and really it just is looks gorgeous. majestic. Yeah, you get that nice Cape Cod bungalow bungalow look to it. Yeah, yeah. Which all, all I have the, a California ranch, so the Cape Cod bungalow look is perfect on my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Perfect. All all the, the cedar I've got, seen or installed around here got painted. It was red, oh. but they never. They never left it natural. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's sacrilege. I can kind of appreciate that. Only the across the street from me, there's a couple high ranches, and I I couldn't even tell you what the I guess the three sides, the the sides in the back are asbestos, but the front faces are all red cedar, and it's it's striated. It's I, I'm a perfection guy, but just it's they've turned into these nasty black things. Like I just don't <laughs> like the way red cedar ages. Yeah, um, and that's but, okay. We digress. So we digress. Sean, what have you been working on? Uh, little stuff. So I previously mentioned uh, in a, in the last episode, actually, I uh, I finished my threshold. I installed my threshold, and I used your tip on measuring to finish framing uh, or trimming the uh, my bathroom door, which is the door I had to, to trim. Did it work? Uh, yeah, it did. Except the one the one piece was super bendy, as trim often can be. This okay. this. Is it's oak trim, and uh, it wasn't like a, a, you know, a semicircle or anything. But it when I put it up there, it, I couldn't with withhold the bend enough with my foot while measuring, you know, marking the top. Oh, okay. To take it out, so I had to trim it once I cut it. But it was really close. The first side worked great. But yeah, that nifty, nifty trick. Yeah, I was just uh, I was talking with Brian Bruce on Twitter earlier. He was okay. asking exactly for the specifics of how I did it. Oh. so hopefully people <laughs> will find that helpful. Yeah, I mean it is. I'm um, Brendan. If you if you're not privy um 
I don't know how much trim work you do, but Diami said, why, you know, I, I had said I had installed the sides of a door, but I had to finish the top. He goes, why did you do it in that order? You do the top, you cut your miters, and then your next pieces, you cut the right miters, you flip them over, and you just mark where those meet the top, that the square cut, and boom, you got your sides oh, perfectly yeah, sure. to length. Sure. I said, I, I did it for years. You know, I, I used to frame and finish, and uh, never did it that way, so... Well, the be- the best of us start out with trim. I think trim's yes. a, trim's, trim's a good place to start. Uh, you it know is. how many how many um, coped corners of of crown molding I've done? Yeah, all by hand with a really crappy coping saw. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Sean, have you ever used that coping piece you can put on the bottom of a jigsaw? No, no, I've seen it. Um, yeah, a few times. Uh, where you hold it upside down and you're like looking it's, at the blade shooting exactly. up and it's down at you. Exactly, it's almost like round foot you put on yeah. the jigsaw. Yeah, yeah, I forget who. Um, the Collins tool, I think, made one. Yeah, I that's, think that's right. going way back to some fine or like fine home building show I went to way back in the day. Yeah, we used to have we used to have. Uh, uh, I've got I've got the Fest tool jigsaw, and we used to have guys come in trying to sell us the the coping foot for that guy. Yeah, you know, or or yeah, asking it, if we carried them. Uh, back when I was uh, I worked at Tools for Working Wood. And of oh, course, oh, you did? We sold, oh, awesome. I did. I did. Awesome. But uh, but yeah, we we sold the jigsaws, and all the New York City trim guys would all come in looking for that, yeah, uh, that it, fancy fancy will, uh, coping foot. Will the foot fit on that saw? They they uh, whoever it is makes one for, that. Will okay, fit. they make a specific one for the saw. Yeah, so Festool doesn't make it. So right. right. So of course, if you're a Festool dealer, you have to be very careful what you sell mm-hmm. that isn't Festool brand because you don't want to upset the beast. That is uh, mm-hmm. Festool. <laughs> yeah, but other than silly little door trimmings, I finally ran that stupid marathon that I've been talking about. So well, good hey. for you. My, my legs are good and sore. That was just yesterday. Yeehaw. You didn't go home inside? I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. It's funny because, yeah, I got home about 5 o'clock. I could have started siding project. I decided not to. I I withheld a nap until nine o'clock and I went promptly to bed. <laughs> it was alright. Well, good for you, Sean. So, Brendan, what uh, you uh, I'm guessing are not siding a house. I'm guessing aren't trimming doors. What you been up to? Yeah, no. Uh, well, it, it, it trimming doors uh, uh, is not far off. I'm making I'm making uh, well, I've got a lot on the bench right now. Uh, uh, the fun projects are uh, building a new little wall cabinet. Uh, that's actually been on my bench for months now. Uh, but after, after staring at it on a shelf half done, uh, I took the past few days to really sort of kick that together. So that's a, it's a little, uh, half blind dovetail carcass, uh, Japanese elm cabinet, oh. uh, very much in the style of sort of the Krenov, Krenov wall cabinet, uh, which, which, uh, and we can talk, we'll talk about Krenov if I'm in a conversation about woodworking, we'll end up talking about Krenov. Okay. Uh, but, uh, and then also I've got some tools on the bench. So I just did, uh, another batch of, uh, dancing leg calipers, um, mm-hmm. which is w- one of the things I sell. And then, uh, I've got the sector, uh, which are, which is my sort of my newest tool. And that's, uh, going through the paces right now. Today it was, uh, squaring stock and prepping it for, uh, for doing some pattern following routing on it. Excellent. It's nice to hear a, a busy shop every once in a while, or hear of a busy shop, I should say. Yeah, it's a busy one. It's a busy one. <laughs> but that's good, you know. We get those seven-day work weeks, those ten-hour work days, and uh, I, I get I get enough done. I guess do do what you love. That's important. Do you um? Right. Do you live nearby your shop? Or are you 
Uh, so I live up in in sort of on mainland Portland. Uh, okay. And my shop's down in Biddeford, so I'm I'm a twenty minute drive. I'm oh. I'm half half a podcast away from the shop. So it's good. <laughs> I listen at, a, listen half on the way there and half on the way home. That's, that's funny. What double speeds for. Yeah, double yeah, speed. Exactly. I uh, I thought about that. Uh, not exactly that today, but um, it just so happened that a three sixty for uh, three sixty woodworking podcast, and those are always like ten minutes, ten twelve minutes. Right. Um, I think they're six minutes actually. They're longer than that. They roll. I mean, think with their intro and outro. They're six minutes. It's perfect. Um, but the actual thing lasts about my drive. I have about a twelve mile commute straight up a highway. Oh wow! And right. uh, yeah, so it doesn't take long. And I just realized I'm like, my god, this started when I was in the parking lot, and it finished right when I was getting into my house. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. I'm one. I'm one ninety nine percent invisible, or I'm half of a New Yorker magazine. <laughs> Excellent. That's, that's, my, that's my little measure. That, that's. Uh, I guess words to travel to. Not, <laughs> that's not, not bad. So, uh, what's been going on around the web? Anything that's interest you guys? I've I've been kind of out of pocket a little bit. And Diamia, you've been traveling weekends and working, I'm sure. But just putting it out there. Anybody? Anybody? Well, yeah. There's. I mean, everything interesting on the web. That's, that's well, what the I web know. is. It's a, I mean, it's a I, network can, of interesting things, isn't it? If if only there were a system of computers. That, no. Yeah. Anyway, right. uh, <laughs> oh, uh, uh, the the newest sort of cool thing I've seen on the internet is I saw there's a Twitter account, or I think it's just a Twitter account uh, that's putting up animated gifs of all of the Japanese joinery. I don't know if you two have seen that. I saw what? something. I thought it was like a collection of. I, I think I, I passed over it a little bit because I think I've seen the videos that they're taken from. Right. Partly yeah. at least. I've seen like the one that uh, – I don't know what it's called, but there's like a keyed uh, half-blind thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and I've, I've seen that and then the peg that drives draws the big beam together. Um, right. Uh, do you, you don't happen to know that offhand, do you, just in case somebody wants to check it out? Oh, geez. Uh, no. Not, not but if deal. But the next time, no one's, <laughs> next time I'm not talking, I'll, uh, I, maybe I'll Google around and, and figure out exactly what it is. There you go. <laughs> oh no, and I I agree. There's always something interesting out there, but uh, sometimes it it you know grabs you. Sometimes it's just is kind of like passing by. Yeah, is the web right. keeping well, you up. That's right. What's that? <laughs> is the web keeping you up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you know what I'll I'll say was going on out there, and shame on me for not having a link to throw in the notes right now. Oh. Um. Uh, Jimmy Duresta put up his giant chalkboard video, mm, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, I was saw you to help him install it. Yeah, <laughs> so I have a very brief cameo, and um, it was just really cool to I, I you know I hung out with him and Bill Lavosi for like an hour as we installed it. Um, and it was just really neat. He's such an open and nice guy. You have the chance to hang out with him or talk to him. I would certainly recommend it. Um, it was just cool to to see a piece of his get installed like that. The fact that he was able to just the thing weighed a lot. It took six of us, and we all hurt hurt ourselves carrying it. It was enormous um, too. Oh, it was, I mean, and it, the back of it is all slate. Like it, it was, it was tremendous. Geez. So it's like lifting a pool table, basically. Yes, that's exactly what it was. But <laughs> walking it from his truck across a. Uh, across the front of the school to these two posts that had someone else had set in the ground, it fit perfectly. <laughs> and it just spoke to his skill as, um, as a carpenter to be able to take measurements, drive upstate, 
make something and bring it back down and with absolutely no shimming or twisting or anything, just boom, it fit. Now, he had a bag full of tools in case it didn't, mm-hmm. but I think it really spoke to his ability in how well it fit. Because anybody who's done this, like we were talking with Al Sharp a couple of weeks ago, he was making that large mantelpiece, mantelpiece yeah, yeah, and yeah. scribing it all to the stones. This was a little less intense than that, but it was a very different piece. And again, just the fact that it was this big thing that he made in isolation and then was able to just quickly hang exactly where it, where it was supposed to go with no tweaking. I was impressed by that. Yeah, that that was cool. I, uh, yeah. and, and like you said, kind of, I mean, impressive uh, with what he did. And he mentioned that, that, you know, he was a little worried, I guess, in the video recap, he, he, he yeah. said, you know, I'd done this, I'd done measurements, I did all I could, and happy that it fit. Uh, and when you're lugging something that big around, I'm sure you're really happy it fit. Yeah. <laughs> but that's cool. So, I mean, and, and it was like everybody was there, the whole, any, all the, his flock of that particular day. I know Jocko well, was, was in town, was, was um, I mean, that whole clan. They were floating around, but I was, I, I've been, I've been going back and forth with Bill, and I'll just... If ever, anyone's listening to this should know Maker's Hustle, but Maker's Hustle is a great podcast about making that Bill Lavosi does with Jeffrey Moore and Amy, Surly Amy, and I'm blanking on Amy's last name, Davis Roth, maybe. Um, she does Surly Rabbits. Uh, it's a great podcast. But in any event, I'd been going back and forth with Bill about when we were going to hook up, and I couldn't make it into the city the days they were doing stuff in the city, and then their schedule was just a mess. So he messages me at like three o'clock on Thursday afternoon. He's like, Oh, we're coming out to the Island to install this thing. So I just drove out and I met him on the Island. So there were other people around that week. Cause it was the meek, the week right before makers fair. But, um, for that particular installation, it was me and bill and Jimmy. And then three of the facilities guys from the school. Oh, okay. Cause that's all, is that the same school that he's doing the installments of the classroom stuff? I want to say yes, but I'm not a hundred percent. sure. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. It's really cool that you uh, you got to be uh, part of that. Yeah, it's like a brush with internet royalty. <laughs> In it way. was cool, for, but it was re- what really made it cool again was just he's such a nice guy. <laughs> I I talked to him for like three seconds at Woodwork in America a couple of years ago, but never really had the chance to have a conversation with him. And whatever you know, he is the person he appears to be when you, if you listen to him on uh, on making it. Um, he's just that open and that friendly and that helpful. It's great. Is it because you're both New Yorkers? I think that's it. Is it <laughs> right? Right. When, when a New Yorker says the other guy's nice. Now, if you're yeah. coming from, coming from out of town and you say, Oh, he's nice. It may mean slightly, it may mean different yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not bashful, but you know, <laughs> I don't think I'd go up and shake Jimmy's hand. Just saying. I'm sure he's a great guy. You don't get what you don't ask for. I know, I that's know, true. and that's the New York upbringing. You forceful people, you. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't make eye contact because I'll kill you. Yeah, right. right, exactly. Right. Don't bare your teeth. That wasn't Diami correcting me when we were walking in downtown Des Moines, Iowa, and I said hi to somebody. He goes, "Oh no, never, <laughs> never in the city. You don't do that." And I was like, "What? They're just passing by." And I was like, "Hey, you know, like good morning." Nope. Okay. <laughs> Well, that was like when I moved to Massachusetts from New York, uh, everyone would, you know, I'd say, how you doing to people you walk by. And then people all of a sudden you move to Massachusetts, people start responding. 
<laughs> yeah, like, oh, it's not just a passive greeting. It's like, it is a question. Right, right. That People requires are saying, an answer. Oh, I'm good. The weather's nice today. How are you doing? <laughs> well, oh, why? Well, you know, it's a, no, 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 you don't get it. <laughs> you're, you're just supposed to say, how you doing? <laughs> I wasn't actually asking you a question. Yeah. Right, right. That just was, pleasantries, was, just pleasantries. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, cool. All right, so, Brendan. Let's, yeah. let's let's steer this back to you because we could talk yeah, about New York more about all night, me. but yeah, that's, that's right. a different podcast. Um, so you're making calipers, Lots. you're making a, a wall hanging cabinet. That's all really cool, but I want to talk about this the sectors, the dividers. What did you call them? I'm sorry, yeah, the sectors. last thing you mentioned, sectors. the sectors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the, forgive me if I'm thinking of the wrong tool, but those are the ones that are. Um, referenced specifically in the uh, Hand and Eye, George Walker, Jim Tolpin yeah. book. Yeah, exactly. Where, okay. So, yeah, so could you describe that for somebody who doesn't know it? Because I'm picturing it in my head and I'm not going to be able to describe it. Sure. Yeah, so so it's it's a proportional layout tool is what I would say. Um, it's It finds its roots. It's uh, It was made commonly available uh, from about the 16th century to about the 18th century. And it was used by uh, artillerymen, gunners, navigators, um, and also mathematicians and things like this when math and plotting and navigation and all these things were being done with pen and paper. Um, so it's really sort of like a slide rule in that you're using a pair of dividers, a pen and a pencil and paper to calculate things. Um, and that was its sort of uh, you know uh, old use. And Jim and George, mm-hmm. so that's Jim Tulpin and George Walker, um, in their sort of delving into this world of uh, old craftspeople and how they would design and how they work with things like the classic orders um, and proportional layout, uh, they were diving in and, and this tool, the sector started popping up sort of everywhere. Um, and they made what I would call sort of a rudimentary sector, but one that was scaled up to a woodworker size, something that would be useful for someone laying out joinery on a cabinet or so, drawer pulls on a drawer face or something like that. I thought it had been a traditional woodworking tool that they reintroduced. Are you saying that they took it from other trades and brought it to woodworking? Yes. Yeah. It, it, and, it, hmm. and it may have, so there is evidence that people used to uh, take, you can make, you can make a rudimentary sector out of a folding ruler. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of evidence that guys did that. And in fact, there's little notes in various books about how you can use the markings on a folding ruler uh, in to, to do some of this simple proportional stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But for the most part, the sector was not a tool for uh, for woodworkers. It was really a draftsperson's tool. Um, and when you look at the size of the tool of the antique, so there's a lot of French brass sectors out there. Um, and you can find them on eBay. And I, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, you could just go get a used one. Those, those are, they're about four inches long. Um, and they have maybe a dozen different lines and different calculations you can do with them. Uh, most of which are really mm, unimportant to woodworking. And, okay. and at, and at that scale, you know, if you were just a draftsperson and just drawing your, uh, your work and designing, uh, they'd be totally adequate. But if you wanted to use it in the ways that, now we're seeing people uh, writing about using, um, which is to do things like layout joinery, you know, equally spaced dowels or dovetails or something on 
on a carcass side or laying out a drawer drawer pull, you know, three fifths from the left and halfway in the middle of a face of a drawer, that kind of stuff. Uh, it pretty quickly sort of uh, the old sectors don't really work. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they wrote an article uh, and Chris Schwartz wrote an article. Uh, I want to say something like 2008 or 2009. I shouldn't say specific dates, but in a number of years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. and that was sort of it. Jim and George kept thinking about it and working about it, uh, working on it. Um, and in by hand and eye, they, uh, mention it and talk about it a little bit. And then in by hound and eye, which was their sort of, uh, comic follow up to by hand. Excellent and eye. book. Yeah. Which is <laughs> a wonderful book. Um, they mention it even a little more so. So, so in, and so, and now I, I come into the picture as, uh, I had started making tools. I was making rulers, and we can talk about those in a little bit. Um, but I was sort of I was getting interested in making these tools, and then all of a sudden, Chris Schwartz writes up the tools, which means that they explode, and I, you know, basically can do nothing but make tools, and 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 uh, had a lot of demand. <laughs> but but so Chris Chris writes them up, and the first thing I did is I wrote Chris and said, "Hey, Chris, you know the thing I really want to do. Th- these rulers are fun." And these little calipers, I think you're going to like, but I really want to make this tool called the sector. And I noticed mm-hmm. you'd written it up a number of years ago. So uh, he got back to me and said, basically, I'm not the guy I want to talk to. Talk to Jim and George and put me in contact with them. And mm-hmm. that started this sort of you know, it's been, I mean, something like nine months now. I think that was last February, maybe last March. Um, I've been, we've been sort of redesigning and designing a sort of professional, uh, heirloom quality cabinet makers sector. Um, yeah. Before we get into what your, is, is it even fair to call it a final product, but what your current sector looks like? Yeah, it's a final product. If I remember right, we had a, it's a final product. Okay. I thought we were looking at a prototype in, uh, in Cincinnati, right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, um, before we get into the specifics of your final product, we've talked about it a bit, but would you mind just describing what a sector is for people oh, who might yeah. not Sorry. be familiar with it? <laughs> yeah. I was so going to ask exactly how you use it because I, I know what yeah. it looks like. So it looks it looks just like a folding ruler, basically. Um, but instead of being opened up all the way, it has a series of lines down each leaf, which is what I'm going to call the two wooden sort of scales. Uh and with a set of dividers, so if I have a certain distance, let's say, that I want to divide into five equal parts, um, the first thing I would do is open up my dividers to that distance. So if it's a drawer side, I'd open up the dividers to the width of that drawer side. Um, and then depending on how I want to divide that length, uh, I open up the sectors, uh, so that folding hinge. I open that up to the point where my divider that is the width of that drawer side is sits in the two points designated five, um, you know, that are labeled five. And basically what that is, is it's going to open the sector up a certain amount. And once it's open, uh, I can reset my dividers to one of the other numbers. So if I wanted to do one fifth, I'd open it to where the dividers fit in the five and the five, and then reset my dividers to the one and the one. Um, so the, the two scales are mirrors of each other. Um, it's it, it it might be a hard thing to visualize um but basically so it allows you to do those sort of physical calculations so you open the sector up to a point sort of like a protractor uh or something like that you open to a certain point and then you can take measurements off of it um mm-hmm. 
So, and what it lets you do is take measurements that are all in proportion to each other as you're scaling up and down. Right. Sure. So, so the so the main use is to do that kind of proportional multiplication and division of divider widths. Um, there's also a function by which if you've got your divider set to the radius of a circle that you've just drawn, let's say, um, there's a, there's a scale or, you know, a set of lines on there that will let you divide that into an equal sided polygon of any number of sides. So it's sort of, uh, another sort of polygonal layout tool. Um, and then there's also the same, a similar function in that if your dividers are open up to a radius, um, you can grab the diameter or circumference of that circle straight off the tool as well. Um, so if you're, you know, uh, you got a strip of veneer and you want to know what kind of tube you can make with it, or if you're bending shaker boxes, you know, round shaker boxes, and you want to know what kind of length of uh, stock to mill up or something like that. It's 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 a little physical calculator. It's not unlike a slide rule, except it's paired with a set of dividers so that instead of working with abstract numbers, you're working with actual physical measurements. Do you, and just one, I guess as I saw it, so your your numbers, your layouts on there are not along the edge like if it's closed they don't right. touch each other they're in they're offset a little bit from that is the intention to like kind of eye up where they would meet or do you touch like your little buttons that you've got in there yeah as so those there's little detents right so there's inlaid into the face of the the sector there are actual uh little tiny brass uh cups um and the actual mm-hmm. legs of the divider sit in those cups so it's got a real sort of physical uh uh point at which you can you can feel that 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 correct measurement or, okay. or, or, and it sort of helps setting up the tool as well. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought and looking at it, I was like, there's no way you're going to like eye that, but I, I'd understand like as you open it up, the connection would actually be a, a radius, not a straight line between those two points, I guess. As, no, no, as no, I'm it's, so it is a straight line between wrong, those two but, points. Yeah. Yeah. So no, so it is, it is a straight, straight across. line between those two points. Straight. Yes. I guess yeah, that, right. that it, that changes the wider you get, that line looks different. So it's not like you could just, you couldn't draw it perpendicular in one any one way from the face to that point and oh like touch i see there i see you know yeah saying? so right so it's not put on t- it's not drawn out to the edge since right there, exactly. since we have three different scales so yeah, each you, each leaf basically you know each side of the the sector has three lines on it um so if we wanted to you could put one on the edge but then you could only have one on the edge you know you could try to put all the measurements on the edge or something like that but actually because it's meant to be used with uh dividers the whether or not you know sort of the, the edge real estate becomes sort of unimportant just because you're going to be grabbing uh measurements and setting the tool up by setting the dividers into that face excellent and, and you 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 mentioned it quickly and i guess uh we can bounce into your into what's on your website a little bit you've got all sorts of design and and you 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 have teaching a teaching background of uh in some degree um and then the, your rulers of the ancient world, which is kind of I think what you mentioned that Chris Chris mentioned yeah. in a write up, and it blew up. Yeah, um, which is really cool. We got to see those uh, again uh, at your little booth at WIA. Um, how is it that you are so wise in the ways of science? Like, <laughs> um, what what made you gravitate um, towards? I, I guess we'll ask you later how you got into woodworking, but as far as like creating. Uh, or getting into uh, the study of, of old woodworking or woodworking tools or like, right. where did, where did that drum up? 
Um, so, so I was where, so when I, I, so I went to college, Redwoods studied cabinet making. And when I got out, it was time to get a job because I'd had been unemployed for nine months. and was basically broke. Um, <laughs> so, so Ron Hawk, who's a friend of mine set me up. I told him I'm moving back to New York and he said, Oh, well, if you're going to move to New York, uh, go talk to Joel Moskowitz <laughs> over at Man. Nova Tools Work in Wood. That's um, a nice connection to have. It is a nice connection to have. So I went over and interviewed, uh, I, I actually, my plan had been to move to Maine and I accidentally got a job, uh, in New York. So, so, uh, but anyway, so I was working with Joel and their tool makers down there. You know, he, he sells, he sells a fest tool and he sells a bunch of, uh, tools, but he also makes the Gramercy saws, um, you know, the saw vice, a bunch of, a bunch of tools in house. So I was mm-hmm. kind of hanging out with, with them and watching Tim Corbett, who's their tool designer, um, do some pretty, cool work uh the the whole tool making thing was pretty attractive um and that was also you know having known ron hawk out in fort bragg and and kevin drake who's also in fort bragg who does uh the glenn drake tools the tight mark um Mm -hmm. having known those guys having done some sort of plane making while i was in college uh while i was at college of the redwoods i slowly sort of was forming this idea like oh I, yeah, yeah i think i think i want to make tools at least at least as a next step or at least the next thing i want to do um but i wasn't really drawn to do something like saws or chisels or one of those things not because it's not awesome because it really is but uh, it 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 didn't it didn't sort of include something funky it wasn't it wasn't uh novel which is something i appreciate or or enjoy working on um okay. so, so i sort of had this idea like oh maybe i want to make something the actual the first idea was those uh dancing leg calipers um, right mm-hmm. which which i had made a few of as gifts and thought oh yeah i bet i could i bet i could make those and sell those um but uh so after so q i moved to maine uh i was working uh for a luthier and a violin maker and the violin maker had i was running a cnc machine for this violin maker i was making his parts on a on a on a computer controlled mill and while i was doing that i realized oh wow this is this this is a this is some cool technology i wonder what i can do that would use this crazy you know uh sign makers machine is really what it was um mm-hmm. and uh and so i had kicked around this idea with a few people I thought it would be really funny to make machinist grade rulers that might fit into your stare at double square or something, but that would be in useless units. I thought that was a funny, <laughs> I thought that was a funny so idea. That was the purpose from the beginning. Make yeah, them the, well, the, not I mean, unusable, but kind of not not logical to use. Right. <laughs> like, well, yeah. I, I mean, to find to it, it, making things that provoke some form of a reaction beyond just their basic use. So, mm-hmm. which again, there's nothing wrong with making straightforward tools. And actually that's, you know, sort of what I'd like to do, but, but it was, it was this idea of like, Oh, isn't that a funny idea to make a useless high precision tool? Um, <laughs> the, the definition of boutique or uh, right, not boutique, right, uh, yeah. uh, artisanal. Yeah. Right. Well, and I mean, it is, and, it, and it's another buzzword, but it, re- I mean, it really is ironic. Um, to make you it, know, it high, high accuracy Egyptian cubits. So, so anyway, so that was, <laughs> that was the initial. And then of course, like any good idea, it started with a pun. Um, 
because rulers of the ancient world was too good not to uh, build a company around. That is pretty good. Um, so, so I, so I set off thinking, Oh, that, that'll be fun. But it was an art project. Uh, it really, uh, I made, I made a run of these. I think the first ones I made were in, uh, East Indian satin wood. They were these fancy, uh, fancy wooden rulers. And I was putting them online. And then I had a couple of people through Instagram saying, these are cool. Are you going to sell these when you're done? And I thought, oh, okay. And this is, I had just started using Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. while, while I was at Tools Working Wood, I was in charge of their Instagram uh, and and sort of was taking photos and putting stuff up. And it was introduced to Instagram that way. But anyway, so I'd started doing this stuff and taking photos of it and putting them online and had enough interest to I said, oh, okay, I guess maybe I'll make like 10 of these or something. And uh, and I'll sell a couple. So I made an Egyptian cubit, a Roman cubitus, uh, a Japanese shaku, and uh, a shorter Egyptian span. Um, and of course, I think my second customer was Chris Schwartz, and my fourth was Megan Fitzpatrick, uh, of, of popular, you know, the edi- editor in chief at uh, Popular yeah. Woodworking. So when that happens, uh, <laughs> that leads to uh, people hearing about it. Uh, so, so pretty quickly, you know, sort of, I, I saw, oh, so I put them online and they sold within 15 minutes. And it was sort of wow. like, oh, well, if people are going to pay $50 for a ruler, uh, and they're, you know, this idea must be more than just sort of this quirky, ironic idea. Um, mm-hmm. and I started hearing from people, you know, it's, it's like, oh, this is awesome. We have this, you know, tangible sort of link to, uh, to, uh, you know, people, the dimensions of people from, you know, 3000 years ago. And, and, uh, I heard from Japanese woodworkers that were using it, uh, to measure and, and build from using those units. Uh, Chris Schwartz was building a Roman workbench using my ruler as sort of his base measurement. So it's that kind of stuff. And it, you know, uh, my initial sort of interest in, uh, both the irony, but also the sort of novelty of the tool pointed, it sort of caught on. It, it seemed like people were, were interested in that idea. Now, did they all appreciate the irony or to some people, were they just so far down the rabbit hole that? <laughs> Yeah, because all this historic stuff was interesting. Oh my gosh, these historic units must be this must be you know the, the thing to use. Yeah, I don't know, and I I haven't heard anyone say that the that the, that they it must be the thing to use. I don't think anyone has really bought into it as their base unit for their work. But that said, I mean, the, people whether or not they caught on the irony. I mean, the other thing is, I was definitely selling a bunch of them because they were pretty. And they're really, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I, I would say that they, they were gorgeous. very well made. You know, they're French polished and they're hand inked and they're, you know, hand plane surfaces and everything. So I think at a certain, you know, a, a certain number of people bought them because they were cool, cool objects. Um, but no, I, I, I don't think the irony was lost. I mean, I had a good, I remember having a good laugh with Chris when I was down in Kentucky, you know, sort of saying like, you know, who in their right mind is buying Roman rulers? And then you look around and you say, well, we're the ones who are buying them. Yeah. Um, me and, me, so, me and my know. flock. Right. Exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think people have bought them for different reasons. The other thing is I hear from people like math teachers or social studies teachers in in high school and middle school who bought them because they have a unit on, you know, just like English, you have a unit on Phoenician, Phoenician letters and, um, sort of where English comes from. Uh, a lot of math classes have, you know, a little history about, you know, where measurement came from and Pythagoras and stuff like that. So I had, I had, you know, math teachers and history teachers buying them to show their students, just to bring them and say, Hey, you know, here's, you know, speaking of 
the Harappan civilization. Here's a Vedic cubit from the Harappan civilization. And we can pass this around now and say, you know, what does this tell us about the people that, you know, use this unit? Yeah, I, w- I will say when I first heard about him, I think I saw whatever Chris wrote up when he was getting ready to do his Roman uh, workbench. Right. Um, it definitely sparked, you know, a, a little bit of, you know, cue to learn something in my head. And was like, well, what was different? You know, and I don't know. Right. I'm not a history buff by any means. Definitely not a measurement history buff. But uh, they're they're I mean they're super cool, and I think it's it's super interesting that that you've you've researched or, or or you know somehow found those measurements. You were explaining to us how like you know these measurements were not like you said like the irony of it they they were never exact. They were based off of somebody's arm or hand or thumb or right. you know a span of their fingers. You right. know. It, right, it, which, it, is, which is which is which leads to right, which leads to the fun difficulty of okay, so now how do I actually decide what to sell? Yeah, because you, you know, literally like, put you, a pin in it, you know. Right, go, it's yeah, fun. yeah. So, 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 and that was a you know part of the fun. I mean, really, what it is is it's a it was a curiosity that spurred on sort of a, a bunch of research in this art project, and eventually, you know, actually selling them. But yeah, so I had to go and find you know uh, the Louvre has uh you know uh egyptian cubit rods that they dug up from tombs oh, that wow. they've measured out and have photos available for the public and um so there's a number of of places that i sort of pulled and called all of these resources the romans there the the foot of roman statues were always exactly one foot uh oh. at a, at the given time that they were made that was part of their uh sort of the ideal person would have a foot that was exactly a foot so, so you can go back and look at, you know, you can gauge the unit of measure from a certain time in the Roman Empire based on the feet of their statues, because all of them are the same. You know, if you look at every statue made in the fourth century BC in Rome, all of their feet are exactly the same. So, huh. so it's sort of an interesting, it, it leads to this sort of, there's a whole study called metrology, um, which nowadays is mostly about precision measure how to measure things more precisely because that's sort of what modern manufacturing has required from the field uh but uh it used to mean and 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 it still does in some communities uh, the study of measure is specifically ancient measure so there's a lot of people that study you know the megaliths of uh of the english isles or the british isles uh or the pyramids or all of these different places trying to decipher you know what were the units that these people used to build these you know, massive pieces of architecture because Mm -hmm. once you know the measurements and once you know what units they were working with, you can sort of illuminate more about, you know, Oh, well that's why they built it like this or that's what, Oh, so it was an observatory or, Oh, it is exactly, you know, it has this mathematical relationship with the length of its sides and so on. And it, and it can tell you a lot about, you know, the technology and how their minds were working at that, at that point in time. Hmm. Okay. Have you ever heard the, uh, the Bill Cosby, guy talking like noah talking to god skit is old bill cosby no i i but, have to say uh, okay. i mean have, have you do you recall i it have all? but i will certainly let you recount it and you just you just reminded me of one bit where he's having a conversation he's like, this is god no really who is this you know and he's going back and forth with them and he goes i want you to make a boat a boat how big i want you to build it 20 cubits by 20 cubits. What right. the hell's a cubit? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah, it's, it's this, you know, and right. it just made, it reminded me of it. Well, and, and, and that is like, you know, that is the funny part is, is, you know, what did that, whoever wrote cubit in that part of the Bible, 
what did they mean, right? And so that's actually – so one of the things that a lot of people found really interesting about the Roman cubit, which is one of the ones I sort of sell the most of, is that it really is sort of also very close to the biblical uh, units. So it's from about that time. It's it's from about the change of the millennia, uh, and it is sort of what at least the New Testament cubit would have been. Hmm. Um and uh, and then the Egyptian, the older Egyptian cubit uh, is very close to what the Talmudic or the 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 Old Testament cubit would have been. So it's, it's there's I mean, there's historical links all over the place. It's 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 you can go down a rabbit hole just like you can with anything uh, when you start looking at the oh, sort sure. of history of measurement and everything. Now, do the people who make their career down that rabbit hole, do they <laughs> do they appreciate what you're doing with it? And find it, you know, enjoyable or are they these curmudgeonly types who say, well, you're not accurate enough or, you know, the one you based yours on is, is the wrong one to use or, you know, do you get these these scholars who can't get past their own studies or do they just think this is a cool thing that taps into what they're studying? I've I and I should knock on wood. Uh, I've had really only positive feedback. Uh, there's been, I've had a couple people who, who have said sort of like, oh, where did you, you know, why did you decide on this length for this? Some people that sort of knew what they were, you know, talking about sort of said, oh, you know, why would, why would you choose this one over this one? And I am the wonderful license of, uh, the, of creative license. <laughs> and I can say, oh, well, you know, I chose this one because that was the one I chose. Uh, so, you know, people say like, oh, you call this an Egyptian cubit and it's based on a new kingdom, 18th dynasty cubit. Why wouldn't you have used, you know, maybe the one that the pyramids were built with or something? And it's like, well, because that's the one I chose (laughs) at a certain point. And that said, I have a background in sort of academic research and, and teaching and everything. So I knew enough to go and get some sources and, and, uh, and document my work to the point where, you know, if someone really had questions, uh, uh, they could they could go and and look up the articles that I'd actually so you know cited and sourced, right? But but That's mostly excellent. it's mostly it's it's nerdy people saying like oh wow cool, <laughs> you know because because really there's no one else doing. I mean I I spent a while when I came up with the idea thinking someone else must do this because it's the internet and everyone has done everything, um and I really couldn't find someone doing it. So I think. As far as I know, I'm the only person making, you know, Roman and Egyptian and Vedic and, uh, you know, pre, pre-metric French rulers, uh, as far as I know. And you and did I, it. And you I'd love a, to find someone uh, else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some other, uh, somebody, but somebody like you, 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 you yeah, could have right. done it on a two by fours. I mean, you did it right by making it first kind of pretty to look at and also this quirky, unique thing. Yeah, all at once, and I mean, yeah. you got an eye to draw to it, and then you got the scholar to draw to it, all kind of simultaneously. Yeah, and it was it was cool. a fun it was a fun process of balancing. You know, I have sort of maybe a modern design eye, so it was fun to do sort of a very minimalist, nice, you know, maple, cortison maple, and black ink kind of look to it. But also, you know, the numerals are all you know not anachron. There's no anachronistic marks on it, so the the numerals are all from the civilization they're used in. I didn't write you know translations on the face of the rulers to indicate what a cubit yeah. was or a foot was or a span was. I put a drawing of a foot or a cubit or a uh, a hand and stuff like that. So it was it was also a fun sort of design design challenge in that way. 
Um, but yeah, no, it was, I mean, it was, it was a little bit of industrial design, a little bit of woodworking, a little bit of sort of craft and, and, and I mean, it's French polish too. There's, there's as much handwork as there is, uh, sort of computer and design work in, in each one, which is exactly yeah, and what do I Do you have a, a CNC or a laser? What, what does your etching on those? Yep. So it's, it's a CNC them? machine. Uh, okay. it's got a 0.1 millimeter. 20 degree v bit so it's oh my gosh i mean it looks like a needle basically it looks yeah. like a, a tiny little v v needle um hmm. and the the edge depth is five thousandths so so uh when when i when i plane and and dimension that stock if it's uh not flat over its length so over for the cubit over 21 something inches for the egyptian cubit if it's out more than about three thousandths it doesn't etch correctly so so wow. i i also set my uh standards pretty pretty high for for some of that work understandably so and yeah. and a, a, a lot or some of this information can be found you were recently in pop woodworking right i was yeah it was That's, which was a nice a nice thing to have i think it's well the issue i guess technically next month but how they do magazines always out the month before i haven't personally been able to read the article yet but i know it's on the shelves at uh, uh at 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 stores and i'm i'm waiting i'm a subscriber so i'm waiting to get my copy right uh, but uh you don't get a you don't get a contributor's copy oh no they, they'll, they'll they'll send me one but uh okay. but but I, it, it actually hasn't come yet but i did go <laughs> down to my local woodworking store and buy one off the shelf <laughs> there, you there you go as any author would do right. you buy your, and then you know you go to check out and you accidentally open it to that page you you go, <laughs> i'm impressed you only bought one yeah right exactly <laughs> you even buy the whole stack you sure, sir? Yes. No, no, no. Then, then I'm defeating the point. <laughs> I yeah, need people yeah. to read that. <laughs> that should be interesting. I mean, if you got a, if you got a, a lot of draw when Chris first mentioned you, you know, now that you're out, and we didn't even talk in detail about your your leg calipers, which are just awesome to you know, to boot. <laughs> right. I've seen those before. I've seen classic. You know, I guess in photos, I've never actually held them in my hand, but I, I know those have been around. You know, what since right. the Victorian age. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Victorian, maybe not that sort, of, sort of early, uh, like mid mid nineteenth century, sort of tool tool okay. maker v- machinist tool. Yeah. And that was that was a case of actually look at. I wanted I wanted to buy one at one point. Okay. And I had gone around and I'd seen them in an antique store for four hundred dollars or three hundred dollars or something. Oh my god! I said that eh, you know I bet I can find one online cheaper. And I went around looking online and you can find them cheaper. You can find them for ninety dollars, a hundred dollars, you know, something like that. But I just thought it was a cool form, and in looking around, I said, "Well, I can't, I can't find one. I'll, I'll make a couple. I made myself one. I made a couple as gifts. When when some people had seen the first one I made for myself, I made a couple as gifts for friends. And I said, uh, someone must be making these. It, it's such a sort of compelling, simple little thing. Um, and no one was making one. So so now I make them, <laughs> basically." <laughs> You know, and and that is sort of the wonder of uh, of being a you know one person tool company is uh, if I look around and someone isn't doing the thing I I want to see and I think I can do it uh, the next day I, I I get to start doing it <laughs> which is which is pretty cool in in terms of your tool design yeah so far the things we've talked about are all things that no one else is making yeah is that your philosophy. Or do you even have a, an overall design where you're looking to only produce unique tools that no one else is making? Or do you see a time when, you know, a sliding rule or something that 
something yeah. that somebody else makes, but you have in your own head how you want to do it better or differently or, or your well, version I, of. I, I mean, I, I think everyone would basically answer that question the same, which is that you want to make things, you know, the way you want to make them the best you can make them. And and I yeah. think most tool makers, you know, and, and I include Lee Nielsen uh, along with, you know, people like Conrad or uh, Blue Spruce or, you know, uh, Ron Hawk or, or – or Kevin Drake, or you know, they they look around. They say, "No one's no one's doing this." You know that, that this is something I can do now. Whether that means no one's doing this in this way, or no one's doing this at all, is you know becomes becomes more specific. At this point, I am not making any tools that anyone else makes. Um, I have a couple tool designs that are novel in in execution and in style, but maybe not in function. Um, okay. so, so for instance, I, I have, uh, another tool that I made as a gift for a long time was it, it was a chisel plane, um, made in a particular way and uh, a wooden chisel plane. Um, and I was looking around and, and while I, I've used and, and enjoyed the Lee Nielsen chisel plane, and I know a couple other have existed, uh, over time, um, I had, I have one that I made myself that I, really like it's much smaller it's it's much more lightweight it really is more like a chisel than a plane um Mm -hmm. so that's that's something and and i'll be making those whenever uh i find oh sorry burped uh (laughs) uh, whenever whenever i find the uh the time to make them but uh so up to this point i mean it is there is a, a luxury in being the only person making something um you know it it the, the competitive aspect, especially in a in a close community like like sort of what small cottage industry tool makers, um, it's nice to not be making the same thing as other people. It sort of eases, you know, makes it easy to say, oh, I really like what this guy's doing. I really like what they're doing. You know, you don't have to worry about saying, you know, oh, I do or dislike, you know, I ma- yeah, I, I make chisels, but mine are sort of the best in this way. Um, but that said, right. I also I also don't see that among most cottage industry toolmakers anyway. You know, no, I think at least as a as an outside observer involved in the community, but not a toolmaker by any means. It seems that at least as far as I've seen, all the toolmakers really support themselves. But I've also seen situations where you know one of my fellow woodworking enthusiasts wants something and is only going to buy one of a particular type of tool and the debate is, well, which boutique maker do I buy it from? Right. So the pool of potential buyers is finite. Yeah, right. So, so I mean, so I have the convenience. If you want to buy a Roman ruler, you, <laughs> you're kind of up a creek uh, unless you want to buy one from me. But, uh, but, but, but that is to say, you know, and, and we were talking about Woodworking in America. You know, the two, two of the people that stood up and gave a talk together were uh, Ramey and, and Conrad Sauer. You know, mm-hmm. Ramey, Ramey right. from uh, Dade Toolworks. And Conrad from uh, Sauer and Steiner, and they are, you know, basically at this point the two uh, easily, you know, or not easily accessible, but two of the only infill plane makers there are, and they have yep. the same clients, you know, they have the same exact customers. But Ramey basically started doing what he was doing on the phone with Conrad. Conrad, you know, basically taught him how to make planes, or or was his sounding board for for the whole process and learning to make them and they stand up and they'll give a talk right next to each other and people and and, i mean they shared a booth you know they're they're not worried about uh competing because there's a small market 
It's a small number of producers and they're friends. So, you know, it does, it does, I don't see the real sort of competitive atmosphere. You know, Chris Vesper and, uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name at Blue Spruce, you know, they could. Dave Jensky. Dave Jensky. Dave Jensky. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, they, they could easily sit across from each other at the, at Woodworking in America and sort of scowl and say, you know, and try <laughs> to get someone to come over to their booth. Uh, but I, I just don't see it really happening. So I'm not, I'm not worried or, or dissuaded no. from making tools that others are making. But up to this point, it has been sort of a, uh, a convenient or, or an interesting thing. I, and, and I guess the other thing is just making novel tools that no one's seen before is exciting or, 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 or particularly interesting to me. Mm. No, and you need that. I mean, if it's if it's not going to be interesting, right. then why are you doing it? You know, you could go back and work for Joel, or you could you could you know find a job down the road selling something. It, sure, you're in this because because it's rewarding on some level. Right. I've taken the oath of uh, of monastic poverty. That is uh, <laughs> deciding to to live as a craftsperson and not a uh, you know. Of, yeah. If 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 I needed to or if I wanted to, you know, you go out and get a job, and uh, and that's not a bad thing to do. But I don't have kids. Uh, and my girlfriend is in nursing school, so I am, uh, I'm all set to basically, you know, uh, be poor for a little while, which, which is great. It, it gives me a chance to build up a portfolio and a, and a little toolmaking company. It, it is, it is not everyone who has the opportunity to be able to be poor like that. Right. So I wish you the best of luck and I say, take advantage of it while you can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and, and it's, and, and. I mean, I don't mean to make it sound like, uh, like I'll never make money or anything like that. But, uh, you know, there was, there was a few months of kind of setting off, you know, buying a, sh- you know, renting shop space, uh, and getting, and getting sort of set up. That was, you know, uh, lean times. Um, and now, and now I've sort of, well, I've been lucky enough to be in Pop Wood and, and I've had Chris write it up. So, so now it, it, you know, the business does kind of run. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not running on loans or, or starving or anything, but, uh, but it's still, you know, it's a meager, it's my little company and I have no desire to grow. You know, I, I want to stay one man in a shop making my things. It's not, you know, this isn't my, uh, my launch pad to becoming the next Lee Nielsen or something like that. See, I, this whole time I thought you were going to be the next DeWalt. Yeah, right. DeWalt. Exactly. Jesus. Yeah. Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think. Unless I've missed something, I think we've talked about all of the current tools you have out in the marketplace. Um, but we started the conversation with talking about what was going on in your shop, and you were mentioning a wall cabinet that you're wrapping up. Yeah. So uh, tell us about that project. Yeah. So, so uh, well, so the other – well, I guess with a lot of this, I tend to get very, very interested in – and diving into uh, specific subjects or facets of whatever I'm doing. Um, and one of them is uh, wood and wood species and dendrology and silviculture and all of this sort of the, the, the nerdy end of woodworking. Um, or one of, I guess, the nerdy ends. We've already been into many of them. It's all nerdy. <laughs> it's all nerdy, yeah. Um, but so so basically, uh, when I went to College of the Redwoods, so uh, where, you know, the, the Krenov, Krenov-founded school out in uh, Northern California – um, one of the things I really latched onto was the wood and they have the best selection, very small, but the best lumber room in the world. I, I will, I will say. Um, and one of the things that, uh, that I saw a couple of people work with was Elm. 
um, which I myself growing up had never used uh, in my own work. And when I came back out east, uh, you know, Kranov talks a lot about finding the wood first and sort of letting it figure out what it wants to be, you know. So you, mm-hmm. so you see a piece of wood and you say, oh, that's a table. Or you see another piece of wood and you say, oh, that's, you know, there's a, the, those are, v- you know, veneers for, for a cabinet or for, for, or there's great rifts on, you know, ash for a chair. Um, so I was slumming around lumberyards as I always do. And uh, a lumberyard near my mom's house in Western Massachusetts had uh, a really beautiful piece of uh, Japanese elm, um, which I'd never seen before, or zelkova, as it's called, sort of in its ornamental tree form uh, in the States. And uh, and, and it, was, it's, it was gorgeous. And I'd been looking to work with elm uh, because I hadn't had the chance to. So I bought this piece and brought it home and sort of looked at it for a while and um, decided that I was going to do the Krenov thing, which was to, to make it into a cabinet. Um, so did you do the pre Krenov thing and let the wood tell you to make it into a cabinet? <laughs> I, you know, whether it told me or I told it, it it's, it's hard to say. Um, <laughs> but, but it occurred to me that it would make a particularly good cabinet, let's say. Um, okay. so, so, uh, I, I sought it up. I, I sought out the parts. Uh, I sort of let the size of the board dictate how big this wall cabinet was going to be and how much wood I had. Now, of course, I went back and bought more later because that's what you always end up doing. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but so I saw this thing up. I, uh, I knew I wanted to do a dovetailed carcass, uh, because I like the way those look. Um, and, uh, and then it sat on a shelf for four months. So actually, if you read the article that's in Pop Wood, uh, one of the things she mentions, Catherine, who wrote the article, uh, she says, oh, and he's got a Japanese elm cabinet that he just started working on. And that I, I think she wrote that article and we did the interview in July and now it's <laughs> and now it's mid-October. So uh, it's been sitting up there for a little while. Um, but I, I had a couple reasons to, to make it. One was this, you know, sort of nerdy wood thing of wanting to work elm. The other was when I was at College of the Redwoods, it's it's sort of rite of passage while you're there to make a cabinet uh, in sort mm-hmm. of the Krenov style. And I didn't. Um, oh, I made, yeah, exactly. I, I made a I made a uh, the first project, which is supposed to be simple, solid, sweet and small. I made a large uh, brass adjustable mechanism standing desk. Uh, which was sort of the opposite of all the criteria other than solid. There's no veneer in it. Um, and then I made a musical instrument, which was another sort of uh, uh, maybe coloring outside the lines a little bit. And then and then I made a ta- tafrid stool, which I think, you know, everyone can be happy about. Um, but I never made a cabinet. So I also had been waiting or wanting to do that. Um, so about a year on after graduating from College of Redwoods, I sort of realized that 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 was something uh, I was ready to make. So so and here I am. I I just uh, pre finished the insides of the cabinet today and glued it up, yeah. which which I'm happy about. You make the tools and sell them to support yourself, right? Will the cabinet and other furniture pieces? also be sold in that way where you'll be a furniture maker or are the tools, the business and the furniture is what you do for yourself. Um, uh, it, it depends. No, I, I have a couple of furniture commissions coming up and I've done some in the past. Um, so that, that, that's, that world's a little harder in terms of regularity is, is what I'm, Mm -hmm. what I'm finding and what I'm, what I hear, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, a lot of the furniture makers I know have 
something that they float themselves on in between commissions, whether that's, you know, anything from cutting boards or, you know, spoons or, or something, or uh, in my case, sort of tools. So the tools kind of float me, float me in and, and are a good business um, and fill the gaps and are more regular than something like a furniture commission. Um, but that said, I do have I, I have I have four beds to make. I have a four bed wow. furniture commission, which is which is going to be interesting in my four hundred square foot shop. So uh, <laughs> so so I I am doing I am doing furniture and and I you know I go back and forth whether whether I want the tool making to be primary or the furniture to be primary. And I'm lucky to not have to choose right now. Um, mm-hmm. But the elm the elm cabinet is a is a what I would call a spec piece. So, so it doesn't have an intended, it wasn't commissioned. It doesn't have an intended customer, but, and I don't even know if I'll sell it necessarily. I might like it just enough to, to keep it. Um, <laughs> but usually by the time something's done, you're ready to get it out the door. So I'll probably put it up for sale and, and see if anyone wants it. I absolutely understand that part of being emotionally finished with the project before you're physically done with it. Right. Yeah. So right now, right now, the way I've been putting it off and bringing it back out, I'm, I'm not tired of it. I'm happy to be working on it. Um, but you know, in a month when, uh, when I still can't get the drawer pulls right or something, I'll probably be, be changing my mind about that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, so I, I hope, I hope that both things that t- tool making and furniture making can, can continue to be a part of my practice. Um, and, and, and the other things, you know, tool design and, and, uh, industrial design and that work too, I, I find really sort of interesting and compelling. Hmm. Do you have any, specific industrial design in mind or you just like it as a field and to exercise that style of design as a put you know in addition to or as a contrast to the specifics of wood or furniture um yeah i i guess it's in in particularly addressing you know furniture and, and interior spaces and things we interact with um, okay. on a kind of furniture level um but yeah i i at at several points have worked for uh, people building things like, uh, you know, furniture or speakers or, uh, I was doing prototyping at one point in my career. I was, I was prototyping things for, for Kickstarters, for other people's Kickstarters, basically. So okay. someone comes in and says, Oh, I'm interested, you know, uh, I want to make, a, a shoe that we, you know, we 3D scan your foot and then we print 3D print an insole, stuff like that. I was working in a lab where we, uh, or in a fabrication space where we built those sort of prototypes. So I've always had a little bit of a design uh, background uh, or an interest. So so the tool making is one sort of interesting outlet for that work. Um, and furniture design is another. So it's it's just another discipline that I, that I like sort of keeping up. Okay. Well, that's excellent, Brendan. We've really appreciated uh, <laughs> chatting with you. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to... Tr- Start to wind this down, but please stay on because we've got uh, we've got some ins- important recommendations to get to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, it's not um, if it's not obvious. I can literally talk all night, so you're going to have to just tell me to shut up at a certain. Uh, it's point. not a problem because what we aim to do is we we want to get you from your house to your shop, back home, and to the shop again the next day. Yeah, there that's right. Our goal. That's right. You if go. you can get me a, a two, a, you know, a two Portland to Biddeford rides, if you can get me two of those, then then you're doing your job good. <laughs> Um, so we've got a couple things coming up, uh, in terms of events, and I think we should probably tone it down from what we did with, uh, the past couple events where we don't need, need to necessarily mention these every single episode. Right. Um, 
But you want to talk about uh, about the two conferences that are announced at this point? Yeah. Uh, so what what's currently uh, been released and you can look into uh, Finewood Working Live is uh, going to happen next April. Uh, check out their website for that. Uh, Weekend with Wood is next May. Um, and just to be fair, I guess to all sources, we I'm sure Popwood's going to have another show, but just they'll release that information at one point. Uh, yes, there will be a Woodworking in America 2017. Yes, there will. <laughs> uh, I, I yeah, I actually I believe so. Um, and and actually, coming up closer now, uh, Jeff Miller still is going to uh, Highland Woodworking. That that's in the coming weeks though. That's really close. Yeah, so and I, I threw there. this one in the notes. I know there are tons of people giving tons of classes all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to select this one out because I'm a tremendous fan of Jeff, and I have taken this exact chair course when he taught it at Highland. Um, first time he taught it was two, maybe three years ago. And this is the second, this is only the second time he's taught this particular version of the class because he usually teaches either a one day class or a five day class. And this is a two day class. So. Um, it's, it's like 200 bucks. It's not particularly expensive. And unfortunately you can't stay with Aaron Marshall cause he lives in Miami now, but, <laughs> um, but get down to Atlanta. Jeff is a fantastic guy. And the way the class is structured is you spend like a day and a half going over chair design, the interplay of aesthetics versus function, how he works on his chair design, chair construction, what works and what doesn't in terms of it being strong enough. And then at the end of the class, at least what we did was the class threw sketches up on the on the chalkboard, and as a as a team, we we fabricated a chair prototype. And Jeff's a huge proponent of making quick and dirty prototypes of anything you have lying around. Just j- sometimes just enough to represent the physical forms you can walk around in three dimensions, and sometimes just strong enough that if you gingerly place your bottom in it, it doesn't collapse. <laughs> um, so we're not talking anything fine here, but just enough to, to hone out your ideas and make sure that yes, it's going to work. Yeah. A mock-up. Um, it's essential. Exactly. Exactly. So as a class, we made a mock-up on Sunday afternoon and it was, it was really, really a good time and very, very informative. So I strongly recommend this class to anybody who's interested in, in Jeff or chair making and uh, again, it's at Highland Woodworking in Atlanta uh, coming up in early November. So you can go to highlandwoodworking.com to check that out. Now, uh, now Sean, yes. would you like to start us off with our fortnightly beer choices? Yes. And mine I, is not uh, hard to find. I can say like... <laughs> 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 that is one way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, tonight, it finds uh, I, you. I think it finds you. You can't help it, but uh, take it home <laughs> with you. Uh, no, I actually have a, a tall boy, twenty-four ounce can of Miller Light in my hand right now. Um, but I, I, I said it, it. I had this for good for good reason. Uh, my training partners for marathon. We had a tradition. Anything over fifteen miles, we had beer after our runs as we were going. So you have no idea so how fun it is. if you had been. beer after your runs, what do you do with Miller Lite? Because well, we just, I mean, <laughs> actually, I I would bring like craft beer to these things, but she actually gave me a Miller Lite. So it, it's it's a gift, but it's really fun to be in a Starbucks parking lot at 7.30 in the morning having run 15, 18, whatever miles and crack a beer right next to your car and, <laughs> and watch everybody come in to get their espressos and stuff and be like, what the hell is going on? It's it's kind of a, kind of fun. 
So the only part of that that doesn't sound fun is the Miller running Lite. before the beer. Yeah, oh, yeah, the running. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'll say it continually. I will. I can't force anybody to do what I do. <laughs> it's 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 you gotta you gotta uh you gotta want to do it and not everybody wants to do it including my wife she thinks i'm insane I, I, and while you. i agree with your wife she's very smart <laughs> i can i can absolutely respect your desire to do it i just don't share there the you desire. go there you go so i mean I, honestly yesterday it sucked my 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 <laughs> my calves are still sore from the pain that i was receiving um but i can't but wait to do to it work again today and i'm impressed by that i I hobbled out of the bedroom, but once I was out that far, it was about a 15-foot walk from my do- my bed to my door. I was good. I was I was up and down the stairs. I was I'm 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 doing all right. I recover well, <laughs> thankfully. Anyway, you're drinking Excellent. something much better than I am. Oh, by the way, uh, I I I have yet to drink that one you you recommended the dogfish hard to read label one. I can't even remember the name of it. Oh, the um, one from last week? Yeah. I what, couldn't what, even tell you. I yeah, but I have. I, I I remembered as I was preparing show notes. I was like, oh my gosh, crazy, I still I, um, crazy long one of their one of their bizarre larger bottles. Yeah, but I have that in the back of my fridge. I gotta oh, I gotta tap into that. I strongly recommend do you pick up any of those larger bottles from yes. them. Uh, yes. As a general rule, they're all excellent. Uh, but what I happen to have today is my Dogfish Head Flesh and Blood IPA. And I can't wait till that comes to my neck of the woods. But go on. You may have to wait till next year. It's seasonal. Oh, I, and I don't know how well they distributed it because I haven't seen it yet. I'll, I'll tell you, it was very hard for me to find, and I, I looked. It took and me all right summer to, to find some. Mm. Um, and I'll also say it is not my favorite fruity IPA. It is a very good fruity IPA, and it was the last fruity IPA I had in the fridge from summer. Um, so I figured it was kind of it was warm as I went out here, so I grabbed a bottle. But if you're really looking for a fruity IPA, the Citradelic from um, – New Belgian, mm-hmm. I found to be just delightful. It was clean and refreshing. It was a, a delightful, delightful summer beer. Is it that the flesh and blood? Is it like a real juicy, like no. like citrus juicy? It's a IPA? touch. It's a touch heavier than the citradelic. It's a little bit more bitter. Um, I wouldn't say it's more juicy. Okay. Um, I know that. I mean, it's, I, it's still very good. I think the flesh and blood, you know, on a scale of one to ten, I'd give the flesh and blood like an eight, but I'd give the citradelic a ten. Hmm. All right, and that's one man's opinion on IPAs. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, how about you? Now, for, now for my opinion on IAs, uh, IPAs, yeah. I, I actually uh, hate them. Uh, I'm not not a not a hoppy beer drinker. Uh, that and but but when I think of when I think of woodworking and beer, uh, anyone uh, who's gone to college or Redwoods in the past. Uh, 20 or so years we'll we'll think immediately of Eiler uh who's one of the teachers and his modellos so i'm going to i'm oh, going to okay. go ahead and recommend a modello uh now that can be uh preferably out of a can i would i would say um straight from the can i think pouring out a beer like a modello into a glass would probably be um a, a misstep but uh and and of course modellos uh i think that it was the old schlitz uh i forget if it was Schlitz or one of the other beers, but it's a great beer to have if you're having more than one. Um, so, so <laughs> that's um, a hell of a slogan. Yeah, I, f- I think that was Schlitz's uh, slogan at, at one point. Um, so, so anyway, so that that would be my uh, my beer recommendation is is have a Modelo, and if you can find a 
uh, a raving Danish man to to have it with. I, I was going to say, if you're going to have Modelo, I think you owe it to Toast Eiler as you have. It. <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah, and 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 say a little toast to the Danish modern that is uh, that is Eiler. Excellent. He's a cool guy. I remember seeing him. Yeah, he's he's an amazing guy. I I, I tease him, but uh, he's he's a, a, an amazing instructor, an amazing furniture maker. His chairs. And Eiler is spelled E J L E R for anyone that wants just to like look sounds. up his work. Yeah, just like it sounds. Eiler Horseweth, and I'll let you figure out how to spell that last part. Um, Horseweth, but, uh, sure. but uh, his his work is absolutely incredible. His Casper chair um, is a uh, dining chair is I think unrivaled in form and comfort and design and 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 everything. It's it's an amazing amazing piece wow. of furniture, and it's made in Madrone, which which also happens to be the nicest wood in the world. So it's uh it's it's a good but but of course you can you can sit in that chair and have a modello and no one can tell you that uh that you should be <laughs> drinking something else. So I do believe that is the appropriate beer to, to break it in with cuz right. you have to toast the chair when you first sit down. That, that's right. That's right. Now we had the honor of getting uh many years ago at Woodwork in America we made a uh, a calendar of woodworkers laying on benches in provocative poses. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we had the honor of getting a couple snapshots of Eiler on a bench. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I, yeah, I can picture it. I can picture it. I can picture exactly what that moment looks like. Uh, and, and it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, um, in fact, he, he's a great guy. Are you in, in contact with him by any chance? Uh, I, I haven't spoken with him in, in quite some time, but, but, uh, he, I, well, I don't he know that I anyone been corresponding be, by written, by written letter, by written letter. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. how I imagine one gets a hold of Eiler. <laughs> so if, if you were to, to speak with him and you could nudge him to reply to my last written letter, I would greatly appreciate it. <laughs> uh, uh, what's the phrase? Don't poke the bear. <laughs> oh, geez. I don't think I'm going to nudge Eiler to do anything, but, uh, but if I do talk to him, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him, I'll tell him you're, uh, you're looking for a response. I appreciate but that. We're looking for I him to come on him and promote Modelo in person. <laughs> I actually, yeah, right, exactly. Well, I'll actually, I'll actually, uh, hopefully, I'm going to make my way out there uh, sometime in uh, January. Go out, go oh, out, go see Eiler on his on his amazing homestead, and go see the school and go see a couple people. So, uh, so, so maybe maybe I'll have the chance to to see. There him. you go. Write a note. Remind yourself. Yeah, yeah and if you, <laughs> and if you do get him on here, make sure to ask him about uh, his animal skulls. Oh, all right. Yeah. I, I will have to. I Speaking of worry. rabbit holes, there's a deep one you can go down there. I'll put that down. <laughs> yeah. So Hang on. Note make, make sure Make a note of that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I also, uh, by the way, I have the Twitter for that uh, Japanese joinery. Yeah, uh, I, I think I found it as well. Yeah, it's, 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 it is Japan. Well, hold on. It's at the joinery underscore JP. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the T and the J are capitalized in the joinery, but I don't know that uh, Twitter cares if you capitalize. I don't think things. it's case sensitive. I forget if it's case sensitive. Yeah. But uh, I just found that by Googling uh, Japanese joinery GIF Twitter. So, uh, so uh, I also might in, uh, invite people to simply do that as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a. It's, it's actually eerily close how to I found it and <laughs> right. Great minds uh, search alike. 
<laughs> now, that we've, now that we've shared that wonderful account, uh, Brendan, do you want to tell people where they can find you on Twitter and various other social media? Oh, yeah. So uh, on all social media, uh, which I really only use Instagram, but I use uh, Twitter to – I post my Instagram post to Twitter. So if you want to follow my Twitter, uh, feel free, but it will be relatively uninteresting. Um, but the Instagram handle that I use is burnheartmade. Um, and that's Bernhardt spelled B-U-R-N-H-E-A-R-T as in heartburn, uh, Bernhardt made. Um, and, and if you're waiting to make that heartburn joke, I, I've beaten, I've beaten <laughs> you to the punch as have the last 400 people that, that read it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's my Instagram handle. And that's really sort of where I put, that's what I treat these days as a blog. I tend to write pretty long, uh, descriptions and take photos of sort of what's on the bench, talk about the tools I'm designing, where they are in the process. Um, and then I also have the website you mentioned mentioned earlier, which is burn-heart.com. Um, and that's got, you know, all the, all the things I'm making, uh, along with some of my history, some of my, uh, interesting music. I'll invite anyone to go listen to the music that I made back in the day. Um, and, and some of my design work outside of woodworking and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Excellent. Do you want to wrap this puppy up, Sean? I think so. Oh, I, I don't get my five questions. That's later. <laughs> oh, later. Oops, I'm giving away the format here. Jeez. No, you're fine. <laughs> Cut that. Edit edit all this out. <laughs> well, that just about wraps us up for this show. If you're missing us already, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Google Play Music. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. And once you've found us and subscribed... Uh, you'll never miss another exciting episode. Be feel feel free to uh, give us a four or five star, whatever the best rating is. Get us up to the top of the list. Have more people learn about Brendan and all our good stuff on uh, on there. And thank you for listening to the Modern Wood- Woodworkers Association. You'd think I could say that by now. Mm-hmm. If you if you like the show, be sure to visit modernwoodworkersassociation.com. dot com. You can follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national. You could like the MWA on Facebook or circle Modern Woodworkers Association on Google+. The best thing you can do is tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussion. So with that, I am Diami Plotke of penultimatewoodshop.com. And I am Sean Wisniewski of thecornerworkshop.com. And uh, we appreciate you listening. Go build something fun in the shop. true renaissance kind of guy i i guess so if renaissance is uh computer music and woodworking i don't